0: For change.org forward slash resources forward slash decolonization. And there's a lot of great reading materials and resources there as well, uh, regardless of where you are. And there's also the Shumi land tax, and that's for folks particularly in the East Bay, although anyone can donate. And if it's if you type in S-H-U-U-M-I land tax, you'll be brought to the Sagorate Land Trust page, and you can read more about that as well. Oh, <sighs> yes. So oftentimes I begin the show with a rant or a little bit about what what I'm thinking about or what's going on. And I was thinking earlier about how there's so much misinformation and being brought up in this country provides a lot of misinformation. And regardless of the families one may or may not grow up in and the areas uh, one may grow up in, there's still so much misinformation in the media and often in schools and, in, and there's so much that isn't taught, or biased versions of what is taught, and behaviors that are in a way celebrated. And I'm thinking about how often qualities such as kindness and generosity and authenticity and honesty are sometimes not only overlooked, but punished in, in this country. And how difficult it is as to... I, complain a lot about what's happening in the world and systems that are in place and other people's behavior and also recognizing the only thing I can change is my own behavior and wanting to make strides with that and also recognizing how difficult it can be coming against what is possible and how to unlearn a lot of behaviors And looking around and seeing so many things that are either that feel backwards or are unnecessary or could be easily corrected if resources were were dispersed differently, and especially in San Francisco, with the with their wealth disparity is ridiculous. That there are thousands of people without homes, and at the same time there are billionaires who live in the same city. And with billionaires, they have so much money that they could give away (laughs) millions and still have millions. Like they could give away so much, and still have they'll. There's more than enough money that they would ever use in their entire lifetime. And to see that that difference of folks who don't have their basic needs met and how to, <sighs> what will it take to get folks to, to share and recognizing, again, I can't necessarily force anyone to do anything. I can only contribute and can do what I'm able to do. And at the same time, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this. It feels like it's never enough and there's so much more that I could be doing. And also recognizing then there are the folks who have quote, more than enough and how do we shift their perspective to get them to recognize that everything is connected. <sighs> so that's something that goes on in my mind every every day, certainly. And I think about my own actions and... There's so much work to do. And recognizing that one will make mistakes and wanting to correct them next time and undo patterns and how there's this illusion of democracy here in this country and this idea that, oh, we're, we're free to do whatever we want, but not really. And there's so many different products we can buy. However, only a few different corporations own those products. So only a few corporations will be... Profiting off these. And sure, there are plenty of places to spend money. That's if you have money. However, how many choices are there as to how to be in the world? How to appear and how to act? That can be very limited as to what's deemed acceptable by dominant culture. And just how disturbing it is that based on how you look or other people's perceptions of you is based on how you will be treated and what you will be given access to. So I'm thinking about, the again, the land we're on and as we talk more about climate change and what can be done for the environment and also recognizing that So much of how what was here originally and how folks took care, indigenous folks took care of the land, and wanting to find a way to go back to that. Yet these corporations are polluting the military industrial complex. The US military is the largest polluter in the world. And these are businesses. And as long as people are making money, they don't care who they hurt, they don't think about the long term effects and how do we stop that and how do we integrate these specific issues into the climate change discussion because someone can be against climate change and as long as you're still pro-war that's not going to solve anything not just the human life but the life on earth nature so I've been thinking about that again uh Perhaps not the most cheerful thoughts, however, do want to be solution-oriented, even if I can be a pessimist at times, and also recognizing that even if some of us don't see the world that we want to live in, we can plant seeds, we can work to create it, we can speak ideas aloud, have conversations with others, try to envision it. The very first step is to envision the world that we want to live in. And it might seem radically different than than the world we're in right now, however, have to try somehow (sighs) And I did want to Begin with a story About Fighting climate change in one way Is that uh, there's a story that was on NPR And there's an audio version of it So i will I will p- play that. And this is a uh, tribe gives personhood to Klamath River, and this came out on september twenty ninth.
1: A Native American tribe has granted personhood to a river in Northern California, making it the first known river in North America to have the same legal rights as a human, at least under tribal law. The Yurok Tribe, based near the southern border of Oregon, conferred the new status on the Klamath River. For years, water management systems and climate change have led to lower water flows in the Klamath and fewer salmon, one of the Yurok's main food sources. We're joined now by Yurok Tribe General Counsel Amy Cordalis, who is also a tribal member. Welcome to the program. Ayya thank you for having me. What does the status of personhood mean for a river?
2: What it means is it gives the right to the river to exist, to flourish, and to naturally evolve, and a right to a stable climate free from human-caused climate change impacts. What that means is that anytime the river is hurt, for example, there's a toxic pollutant that is gets into the water of the river, we could then bring a cause of action against that polluter to protect the river.
1: So. Would the Yurok tribe be able to take legal action against polluters of the river further upstream, beyond their territory?
2: Well, that gets into some jurisdictional issues, but we certainly would make the argument.
1: What prompted this?
2: Why did they decide to take this action? One, the Yurok people have always lived along the banks of the Klamath River, And in our creation story, um, the creator told us that as long as we lived in a balance with the natural world, we would never want for anything. And we lived that way for a very long time. of course, you know, after the invasion in the 1800s um, and development occurred outside of our control, that
1: balance has been thrown off. Um, I understand that the situation with the salmon, though, has really prompted a lot of concern. Can you explain a little bit about what's going on and how it's been going this year?
2: The salmon runs are the lowest they've ever been. Even this year, it was anticipated that the returning salmon runs were going to be strong, but they never showed up. We don't know where they are. Uh, We have been doing all we can to protect the river and you know, working within existing legal frameworks, and it's not enough.
1: We should note that this is not the first body of water to be granted personhood. Toledo, Ohio voters approved a referendum to grant personhood for Lake Erie in February, although that is being challenged. Is this an idea that's gaining traction uh, beyond Native Americans?
2: Absolutely. Um, The New Zealand government granted rights of a river And really, what I think this is, is a reflection of a change of societal values. We are in a climate crisis, and we need new tools to respond to that crisis. And in this country right now, corporations have rights as a person. And that's because, historically, our country valued commerce. And so I think it's a logical next step in this era of climate change to give the same kind of legal recognition to the natural environment and to nature.
1: That's Amy Cordalis. She's the general counsel for the Yurok tribe in Northern California. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: All right. So that was from NPR, and you can find that at npr.org, and that was posted on September 29th. There's a lot of information. As per usual, this is just a drop in the bucket of the information that I have heard and I'm able to get to on the show And I'm weaning myself off Facebook. It's having a tough time. We do post news articles there if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. I've also been sharing a lot more information on Twitter. So you can follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. And for many of the stories that I have intended, I am intending to get to today but might not, you can follow me on Twitter and read some news stories from there. There's a lot, again, a lot to get to. Uh, George Gascon, the DA in San Francisco, has stepped down, even though there's going to be an election in November, which is kind of ugh. And the idea is that we want to be sure that us voters, folks who uh, vote here in San Francisco, have a say in who the next DA should be. If you're interested in listening to last week's program, please do, because we had uh, Chesa Boudin on the show. And Chesa talked a bit about his campaign and his history. And we will be replaying that episode on October 25th. So, folks, if you'd like to take an action item, you can tweet London Breed, who's the mayor of San Francisco, and let her know that the voters we deserve to be able to vote for the next DA here in San Francisco. And you're welcome to. I've posted it on Twitter so you can retweet that, create your own tweet, contact London Breed's office, however you are able to. Thanks for that. Uh, Again, lots of news. I'm unsure of how much time we're going to have to get to everything. So I did want to announce a few upcoming events. Uh, The Center for Political Education is a great organization here in the Bay Area, and there's a lot of events that are happening in October. So for folks who are local and or will be local in October, I wanted to share some events that people can check out. I've learned so much from the panels that they have presented, so I really encourage folks, if you'd like to learn more about any of these upcoming events, please do check them out and or spread the word to folks who may be able to attend as well. So the first uh, event here on the list is Defend the Venezuela Embassy Protectors. This is Tuesday, October 15th. Uh, They will be sharing the location details soon. But again, if you check out the Center for Political Education, they'll have more information there. And it says, join CPE and Buy in USA in welcoming Kevin... Zeiss, Margaret Flower, and David Paul on their tour of the Bay Area, all three are facing prison terms and $100,000 fines on the trumped-up charge of, quote-unquote, interfering with government operations based on their 34-day defense of the Venezuelan embassy in Washington, D.C. Zeiss, Flower, and Paul will be joined in conversation by Venezuelan activist Carolina Morales and Ronda Romero, chairperson of Bayon, and that's B-A-Y-A-N, USA. So that's one event that's happening, again, on Tuesday, October 15th. Next, on Tuesday, October 22nd, at 7 p.m., Reclaiming Hong Kong at the Eric Quezada Center for Culture and Politics, which is at 518 Valencia Street in San Francisco. Earlier this year, the people of Hong Kong rose in mass resistance to the proposed China extradition bill. Protests continue to escalate despite increasingly brutal crackdowns by the government, while the city edges toward martial law, the protests have gained attention and support around the world. Join CPE, Chinese Progressive Association, and the Bania, uh project, and that's B-A-U-H-I-N-I-A project, for a discussion featuring organizers involved in the uprisings and Bay Area based organizers. The speakers will discuss what caused and continues to fuel the uprisings and what the future of this organizing may be from Hong Kong to the Bay. And this will be featuring kai Samuel Chen, uh, Wawa, Jose Eng, and Adrian Lung. And for more information, including accessibility information, they have a link. If you go to, I'm going to click on the site here and share the link that has more information as it loads, and there's a Facebook invite. That's called Reclaiming Hong Kong. So if you type that in, you'll find more information there. And also it's to note that there are like anti-government protests that have also been happening in Haiti and Iraq, so really around the world, those and I think in Indonesia as well, there's just many, many protests that are happening around the world. And I really appreciate that the Center for Political Education puts on these panel discussions because I feel the media either doesn't cover these events at all, or if it does, it's from a very pro-state, pro-government, pro-police a pro-imperialist perspective so it can be really difficult to understand what's at stake, why people are actually fighting and what they're fighting for, and to bring in folks who have lived there and really understand and have studied what's happening is so important and crucial and also just to understand how that corresponds to what's happening here in the United States as well. Whew. Next up they have the Decade of Fire. Center for Political Education and Casa Justa, Just Cause invite you to a special screening of Decade of Fire on Sunday, October 27th from 1230 to 230 p.m. at the New Parkway Theater, which is at 474 24th Street in Oakland. Mm-hmm. Director Vivian Vasquez-Irizarry and Casa Justa, Just Cause organizer uh, Kenya Perez will join us for a post-screening discussion. They have tickets available, and they have a link on the website. No one will be turned away for lack of funds. Decade of Fire tells the story of how the South Bronx came under attack in the 1970s by banks, the real estate industry, and gentrifying government policies. It also shows how entire neighborhoods organized themselves to fight back and rebuild their homes. Against the backdrop of racist austerity measures, redlining practices, and policies of, quote-unquote, urban renewal, this gripping film investigates the real history behind the fires that rocked the South Bronx for a decade, displacing about a quarter of a million people from their homes. With painstaking research and compelling testimonies from longtime community members, Decade of Fire rejects dominant narratives that place the blame for the fires on the black and brown communities of the South Bronx, and shows the power that is activated when neighbors unite and organize to save their communities. And they also have some more information on, Excel, excuse me, accessibility information at the link as well. So again, if you go to the Center for Political Education, which is, let me just bring up the website here. Oh, they have a, a Facebook invite. If you check that out, they will you'll find information that will be helpful. Great. All right. It is 1227. Whew. And going to look at some of the next stories that we can get to in time. also taking a a deep breath here because, yes, there is quite a lot. And there is one more. Oh goodness. There's, there's a lot to get to. So I think what I'm going to do next is get to a story from Democracy Now! And that's just going to talk about folks who commit nonviolent crimes and how they are punished as opposed to some folks who actually do commit violent crimes, such as the Dallas police officer who was the first uh, Dallas police officer to be convicted of murder since the 1970s. And she was given a a 10-year sentence for murder, while there are folks who are given far more time for either self-defense or for other victimless crimes. So this is from Democracy Now!, and this is from November 15th, 2013. i just going to play a little bit from this.
3: The American Civil Liberties Union has found that more than 3,200 people nationwide are serving life terms without parole for nonviolent offenses. Of those prisoners, 80% are behind bars for drug-related crimes. 65% are African American, 18% are white, and 16% are Latino. Evidence of what the ACLU calls extreme racial disparities. The crimes that led to life sentences include stealing gas from a truck, shoplifting, possessing a crack pipe, facilitating a $10 sale of marijuana, and attempting to cash a stolen check.
4: 63% of those serving life without parole for these nonviolent offenses are in federal prisons. Most were sentenced under mandatory minimum laws. The ACLU says keeping nonviolent offenders behind bars for life is costing taxpayers an additional $1.8 billion. And event will be joined by the author of the study. But first, this is a clip from a video that features family members of some of the more than 600 prisoners it profiles.
1: Everything he did was to hurt himself, not others, and it went from— from one-year sentence to two-year sentence to natural life.
5: My dad will never get out for something so little, natural life. For stealing a $150 jacket, and
6: that $150 jacket got him life in prison.
1: Here in Louisiana, they used that uh, habitual offender law, three strikes, you are automatically getting natural life.
5: It's like giving him a death sentence, because there's no life. No life for a man with his children or his parents or anybody else once
3: they're in there. Judge should have the discretion not to give the last sentence. I mean, that's extreme. You tell that to anybody, "Ah, ah, that's a little bit too much. That's almost just to be the point that that's not what the forefathers envisioned, even with the Constitution. That's extreme. That's cruel and unusual punishment to me.
5: He's a good person, my dad. I mean, he's always, like I said, he's always been there for me, my sister and brother. He's always done his best until he started abusing the drugs. And a lot of times with Patrick with the drugs, it came down to not being able to find work. Life sentence is no way to deal with a, uh, a drug addiction. My son wasn't a minister to society. He would give his shirt off his back.
7: And being so tenderhearted in a place like that, it just doesn't fit. It's changed him that way, because I notice he is getting a little colder. I find that he's not believing it, he's not keeping his faith as much, he's not, like he's like, I'm about ready
5: to give up on this. Oh, it always been hard. I go down there and sin. I can't hardly stand to leave but I know I have to go. It'd be hard,
3: it be hard.
5: To tell him what I ate for Thanksgiving, and he couldn't eat it, you know? It's hard, Just little things
7: like
0: God.
3: And my birthday coming up. And those are days I break. But if this person can go back and be a productive citizen and not commit crimes again, these nonviolent crimes, then why are we keeping him here, spending all this money? Because maybe I've done my job. So he should have a parole hearing.
1: There's too many families that are suffering out here. Give him a second chance. He's 54 years old now. I'm
5: looking for things to change. Because these boys, or just getting wasted away in these prisons for no reason.
4: That's a clip from a video that accompanies the ACLU's new report, A Living Death, Life Without Parole for Nonviolent Offenses. For more, we're joined by its author, Jennifer Turner, human rights researcher with the American Civil Liberties Union. Welcome to Democracy Now! I mean, it is just astounding. A man—the story we just heard, another story, a man walks out of a store with a coat slung over his shoulder, $159, gets life in prison without parole.
8: Absolutely. These these sentences are grotesquely out of proportion of the crimes that they're seeking to punish. And we found that 3,278 people are serving life without the possibility of parole for nonviolent crimes. But these numbers actually underrepresent the true state of extreme sentencing in this country. Those numbers don't account for those who will die in prison because of sentences such as 350 years for a drug sale. Um, it also doesn't account for the many millions of lives ruined by excessive sentences. Sentencing in this country as well.
3: And especially the impact of federal mandatory um, uh, minimum sentences. Could you talk about that and the efforts to try to roll back? Uh, some of those, uh, some of those laws.
8: Yeah, well, what we found was that over 80 percent of these sentences were mandatory, both in the federal system and in the states. Um, they're the direct consequence of laws passed over the 40-year war on drugs and tough-on-crime policies that included mandatory minimum sentencing laws, habitual offender laws in the states, and they tie judges' hands. And in case after case after case that I reviewed, the judge said from the bench, outraged, um, would say, "I I post the sentence as a citizen, as a taxpayer, as a judge, I disagree with the sentence in this case, but my hands are tied. And one judge said when sentencing one man to life without parole for selling tiny quantities of crack over a period of just a couple of weeks, he said this is a travesty. It's just silly, but I have no choice. What if a judge said no? The judges can't say no. In fact, I looked at cases where the judges tried to say no, where the judge tried to find a legal loophole where prosecutors appealed repeatedly. One man was sentenced to zero time in prison by a Louisiana judge for uh, threatening a cop while handcuffed in the back of a police cruiser. He was drunk, threatened him, was sentenced uh, initially to no time. The, ju- the prosecutor appealed senten- the sentence increased to 10 years. prosecutor appealed to Ken. On the third appeal, it was increased to life without parole as a mandatory sentence because of his priors uh, dating back as much as 20 years earlier.
4: Let's go to another case. Another person profiled in your report, in the ACLU report, Sharonda Jones. She was sentenced to life for conspiracy to distribute crack cocaine when she was a 32-year-old mother with a 9-year-old daughter, no prior arrests. No drugs were found on her. But her supposed co-conspirators testified against her in exchange for reduced sentences. In this clip from the film The War on Drugs, she talks about being separated from her daughter.
1: My sister bring her a visit, and every time she comes, it's hard. I still like once a month, and to see her grow from a little bitty baby to almost a grown woman, and it's just like, God, my dream is to just show up at her school. <laughs> I mean, I know they gave me life, but I can't imagine not being at her graduation her high school graduation. I just
4: can't imagine me not being there. Sharonda Jones, Jennifer, tell us more about her case.
8: Well, Sharonda was caught up in a massive drug sweep in a majority white town in Texas. Over 100 people were arrested, all of whom were black. Um, Chuck Norris participated in some of the arrests. Uh, Sharonda had no information to trade for a, a, lenient, a more lenient sentence, and the judge was required to sentence her to life without parole, objected to the sentence. But uh, she so had, had no choice. they had nothing on her? But they had nothing but one wiretap. Uh, what happened was a couple had been arrested on drug charges and began cooperating with the feds as confidential informants. And from there, uh, started implicating others in the community. They called Tronda and said, hey, do you know where we can get some drugs? The wiretap caught Sharonda saying, let me see what I can do. That was the extent of the evidence against her, with the exception of testimony from these confidential informants and other co-conspirators. They never found any drugs on her. Uh, there were no even video surveillance of her with drugs. But she was sentenced to life without parole, a single mother. Her daughter, Clanisha, has been separated from her for many, many, many years. And Sharonda maintains a very close relationship with her daughter. She carefully apportions the 300 minutes she's allowed to use per month for non legal calls to call her daughter 10 minutes each day. When I talked to Sharonda on the phone, she was like, I gotta go. I can't use up my minutes. I need to speak with my daughter. And uh, Sharonda, unfortunately, has no relief available. Her sentence is final, like those of everyone else we were profiling. Uh, they have really no chance of relief unless President Obama in Toronto's case, because it's a federal case, or in the states where the governors use their executive clemency powers to reduce their sentence.
0: Welcome back to the Weekly Review. I'm joined here by Kevin Seaman. Kevin, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Roman. Yes, and... You have a show coming up called Femme Masculine. It's hashtag Femme Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Don't hashtag. forget that hashtag. We're in a
7: digital age romance.
0: Right. Hashtag Femme Masculine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so please tell us about the show.
7: Yeah, sure. So this is the first solo show that I've done. I've done a ton of shows here in the Bay Area over the last uh, 15 years that I've lived here, and this is my first solo show. It's debuting down at Brava Theater. We had our opening night last night. It was, it was a ton of fun. Um, the show is really looking at the intersection of gender and sexuality amongst gay men and really looking at that intersection it's kind of a parable for uh, toxic masculinity and um, just kind of like living your best life in this digital age where it's easy to slip into a bunch of bullshit.
0: Yes, that <laughs> is for sure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's so, I really appreciate queer artists who put their work out there. It's I think having visibility is so important
7: Oh, yeah, I totally agree.
0: Um, When I think, too, you
7: know, for me, this show is really, it was such a labor of love, and it was many years in the making, um, because it was really changing my performance style for something that was more character-based, more silly, Mm -hmm. um, and comedy to something that was a little bit more authentic and vulnerable, which was very difficult
0: for me as a performer. Yeah, yeah yeah what was the process like if you'd like to talk about that
7: um yeah so um i i feel very fortunate to be supported by a huge team of amazing local artists and even some folks that are working remotely um throughout the whole thing uh three years ago i started working with john calden um who wrote the script uh we wrote the script together uh and that process was really just like talking about uh stories of my life and um Uh, just experiences that I had that like brought me up to this point and over the years that the script really shifted and changed Um, and I think not only is it this kind of like autobiographic piece but I think the other piece of it too was really about um, taking kind of a queer lens to gay culture Mm -hmm. um, and looking at a lot of gay male culture and thinking about that in context of uh, gender studies of queer studies and really thinking about how we're looking at um, some ideas that kind of get uplifted as like uh, underground scenes, but then are kind of still conforming to and supporting patriarchy. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a bit about some of the dating apps, for instance. Is oh, one, yeah. One place. Absolutely. Where so yeah, happens. we
7: actually have um, one of my other collaborators, Jolene Ingo, has created a dating app specifically <gasps> for the show. Oh wow! And so a lot of the action on the show deals with um, looking at this app. It's called The Man, uh-huh. and uh, it's it's a community for men. Oh gosh. Um, But really, it's just like we go through we go through having to um, fill out like a profile together and take a picture and um, go through kind of some you know th- the app isn't an actual of app available specifically made for the show really is a stand in for toxic masculinity thinking yes. about how we conform to standards of um specifically like hyper masculine gay uh, male gaze <laughs> and really thinking about how we change ourselves to fit in somewhere yes um and then what happens like t- when we start conf- putting that conformity on other people that yeah. might be coming in later. So really think about aging too and like being a younger um, gay boy and really finding myself in a lot of internet websites and um, in the show we talk about like the AOL m from chat rooms. We talk about gay.com yes. and just kind of my own evolution in places but then also just really thinking about how, how after we learn how to conform to spaces so that we can fit in, how are we forcing others to have to conform by not being our authentic selves yeah
0: wow that's that's <laughs> there's a lot right there it's a
7: comedy <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's so important to talk about where yeah. i was in the, in the beginning of the show i was speaking about just growing up in this country and how regardless of sometimes where we're raised or who we're raised by yeah. it's still difficult not to take on some problematic behaviors oh, and yeah, attitudes absolutely. that's kind of either forced on us by mainstream culture in a lot of ways.
7: Yeah. There's, um, there's a really great video that we put together that, um, Uh, jay mason buck he's up in seattle um created that is about essentially the process of hazing that all Mm. young boys go through just by virtue of watching media listening to their peers and like being a young boy in the world that there's so much conformity that that happens in order for boys to survive Mm -hmm. that you have to like fit into Mm. it um and there's there's this really amazing video that um mason created that kind of details that and just seeing it from all angles of t TV, and news, and movies, and then how that gets played out in social structures as well.
0: Wow. Oh, I, I do sigh a lot on this. So. That's all right. Yeah, sigh away, Roman. Taking it, I'm taking it in. <laughs> oh Goodness. Oh, yeah. wow.
7: but I mean I think the flip side of that too you know we spend a lot of time thinking about the like conformity for sexuality but then I think we reach a point in the show where that completely reverses and that's where my drag persona LOL McPherson comes out Mm -hmm. and really is kind of the antithesis to all of this hyper masculinity is the idea of hyper femininity yes Um, but then I think also trying to like take a look at some of drag culture about like appropriation from different communities um, the way that a lot of gay men when they do drag and mm-hmm. anyone can do drag. I, I truly believe that mm-hmm. drag performance is for everybody um, and it comes out with all these different kinds of expression but um, really thinking about how a lot of gay men when they're doing, were performing drag as drag queens that Uh, A lot of self-deprecating behavior that can Mm. just seem self-referential actually isn't true, because at the end of the day, you go home and you wash off your makeup, you wash off this feminine presence, and you're back to being, you know, a male-presenting person. And so what does it mean that you're, like, self-deprecating someone that you are, but then you're also not? Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah, I think drag can be really problematic sometimes sure. if you're not thinking about how you're making the joke. I think just like any any type of comedy or any right. type of um, social parody or performance, that if you're not intentional in what you're doing, you can very easily uh, be extremely offensive. Definitely. And if your point is to be offensive, then you better know how and why you're being
0: offensive, right? And who you're offending. Absolutely.
7: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of skirts by because there's not certain people in the room, and I think we have. To hold ourselves to a higher um, accountability.
0: Yes. Yeah. Thinking also just in terms of with you know being trans and like how the yeah. relation between trans and drag and the, mm-hmm. how it intersects sometimes mm-hmm. and and not.
7: Yeah, a previous show that I did um, with uh, Micah Sigourney, Vivian Forevermore, Honey Mahogany, and Dulce de Leche, we Mm -hmm. did a show that was called Daughters of a Riot, Mm -hmm. where we looked at a lot of San Francisco history, Mm -hmm. and specifically around the Compton's Cafeteria Riot, and um, how the Tenderloin in in the 60s was this area that, you you know, there weren't definitions or or delineations between... um, between queerness gayness trans identity like it Mm -hmm. was all just kind of bundled up all together and it's been um and so i think in those times it it was it, I mean, it was not as good for people because we've come so far with, yes. with LGBTQ rights, but it was more of it's more of a togetherness, at least from like my lens of like sure. not having experienced it all, mm-hmm. um, and so I think now as our communities continue to gain momentum and visibility, that we have to be more in supportive of each other. We right. have to be in dialogue with each other. We have to really be listening to each other. Yes. Um. A lot of people refer to like LGBTQ as a community. And it's so not true. There's Mm -hmm. so many tiny little factions and um, micro communities within that.
0: Yes, definitely. And folks have different experiences too based on identity. So it's also crucial to to talk about that. Yeah.
7: Yeah. I know a lot of trans folks that are super into drag that Mm -hmm. like found their, their identity through drag. And then a lot of other people that think it's total misogyny. Mm -hmm. And I think both of those perspectives or all perspectives are totally valid. Right. Right. Um, um, and I think that, you know, as a drag performer, I'll I'll be the person to say, like, not all drag. But I'm like, I think there is a lot of it. Um, I think look at Hollow Eve on this season of Dragula. Have you seen the Boulet Brothers' Dragula? No, I haven't. It's awesome. It's but... it's kind of like Drag Race, but it's um, darker and weirder and messier. Uh, and Hollow Eve is um, a contestant on, on this year's. And... Uh, they, during one makeup session, called out a person for using the term fishy, Mm -hmm. um, to refer to their drag. And it was this really great conversation where, um, hollow stated why it was not okay and why that term should not be used. Really thinking about, uh, this, like, I don't know, derogatory term for, um, female genitalia, not female, cis female genitalia. no. I'll say of just like a four type of full genitalia, vans. yes, yeah. a type of genitalia. Thank you. Yeah. Um. And, but like that, it was so well yeah. received as well by by the other person. I was like, huh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And just you know, the, this idea that like by. Uh, getting new information where you feel something's being taken away from you mm-hmm. to me i've always been the type of person that like if you're giving me feedback of something that's hurting you or something that i'm saying that makes you uncomfortable like yeah. i wouldn't want to continue that right and it might be something if it's something that's very close to my heart i have to like really think about it um to me i'm like i use the word fag all the time it's a word that i feel like i own mm-hmm. um um, or even like the word queer, a lot of older yeah. generations do not like that word. Right, right. So I'll tend to skirt away from <laughs> yeah, it with yeah. other people, but it's also something that's a piece of my identity and who yes. I am and that I won't strike from my vocabulary in a way that other words yes. I've tried to weed out a little bit
0: more. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I also think about with younger folks coming, out, coming up and how language does change and evolve oh, yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious as to how that will shift yeah. As we as we go on. And what words that we're using now will someone maybe listen to this episode years from now and be I like, Oh my gosh, I can't said. believe they said that or, you know
7: <laughs> who knows? Yeah, we did um, we did a version of the show in New York in January, and there was a young person there, probably like eighteen or nineteen, who is non binary and like after the show they raised their hand and they're like, Do we even need this show? Like this <gasps> conflict of like, do we need it? and I was mm-hmm. just like, I am I am so happy yeah. that you have yet to experience like people That that are like um, not okay with your non-binary, like that, like have no, like it is so wonderful that Mm -hmm. we have younger generations that are growing up in a time where there's so much. so many resources and services and so much available to support you but it's like uh, just a little bit ago and also right now too like the types of things that are happening to a lot of trans folks non-binary folks to queer folks that like um i feel very fortunate to be in the bubble of san francisco and Mm -hmm. i know how hard it can be for people that are living in areas that are not super accepting of lgbtq identities
0: yeah yes definitely i was thinking about i was thinking about I've got a lot of different, like, bubbles popping Uh up over my head about where to go in the conversation, and one thing would be just in terms of processing what Mm -hmm. we have been, you know, I I feel like even recently I've been processing a few things that happened to me when I was, like, coming out as trans, Yeah, like, over 10 years ago that I'm still, like, memories of things that I experienced versus what things have happened to folks now not to compare and contrast because everyone's experienced different etc yeah. etc however there is that need to kind of I wasn't in a place to necessarily speak about what happened to me mm-hmm. and then later on when things feel a little bit safer perhaps or yeah. there's more stability then one can present it so I'm also just curious as to with maybe I'm just speaking more a stream of consciousness and less of a question, this, this idea of when we can actually start speaking about our own experiences, even if it's after the fact and maybe things have changed in a way right. since then. So in a way it's like creating art is telling a story about maybe processing what has happened in the past. So in a way it might seem at like anachronistic. Mm-hmm. However, it is, it does take time to really shape and share what we've, been through. Yeah, it absolutely (laughs) does. Um,
7: And I think, you know, as as part of this show, I think one of the most critical supports for me through this show has been uh, mental health services that Mm. I have received at Queer Life Space, which Mm -hmm. is an amazing uh, queer mental health community practice, which sliding with sliding scale, um, services. And I think when I started this show, I was like, I don't know. I just feel like uncomfortable with my gender identity. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to just start exploring it and write a show about it. And as I got deeper into it, the more that I realized that like there was just so much there that I had suppressed or forgotten about or like dissociated with. And it was really this process of creating this show while I was like, uh, getting services through queer life space that were like really hand in hand to actually, help me get to the point of like self-acceptance and a lot of like relaxation around my gender fluidity and really be okay with that. Yeah. Um, But it's to me. So I think, synthesizing my life into a show Mm -hmm. at the same time of plugging all of these different types of resources and ideas into it. One major influence of the show is bell hooks, uh, the will to change men, masculinity and love, Mm -hmm. which is a book that my therapist at career space is like, you're going to need to read this book and then we're going to need to talk through it while you read it. And it really forced me to change my idea about the construct of masculinity and more so my own relationship with it as well.
0: Yeah. Wow. (sighs) <sighs> Something else I um, I also wanted to talk about was just, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned like in San Francisco, we live in a bubble, yeah. which is true. And also there still are, San Francisco does have like a ways to go in terms oh, of. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I was hoping you'd be able to talk about a bit about like with the rideshare apps uh-huh. and how discrimination oh, that yeah, folks sure. had. And you're really instrumental in helping the dialogue around uh, homophobia and transphobia in terms yeah. of, folks not being able to access ride shares right here in the Bay area. Yeah. So in July,
7: 2017, I was outside the stud in mm-hmm. full drag at three o'clock in the morning, um, and called for a lift that refused to pick me up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Since that time, I've been working with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, National Center for Lesbian Rights, Mm -hmm. um, to really meet with Lyft and try to come to an agreement about how we can help create more visibility for LGBTQ people, Mm -hmm. specifically trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Um, And I think the biggest... Um, agreement that we reached was mm-hmm. making sure that we're that we're going to have a di- um, report discrimination button within the app. Mm-hmm. That when that incident happened to me, I had to click through to four different screens and uh. then just write an email about what had happened. And to me, that that if to not have the ability to report discrimination for a company mm-hmm. that I know values. Um, diverse perspectives and wants to really make sure they're providing a welcome environment for everyone, mm-hmm. it seems like a huge oversight. And yes. so I'm just, I'm really excited that we're going to be working with them mm-hmm. um, to create that for everyone. Yeah. Um, I just saw an article today too that had mentioned that um, African American Black and LGBTQ folks often get uh, denied rides or skipped over by all rideshare companies. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah. just, I think, to, to be able to report that. I think it's also sometimes so hard that, like, how can you, you know, if somebody just comes up and cancels on you, right. you don't specifically know the reason. Right, but right. But I remember I was, um, I was, I went with a friend to Steamworks, and when uh-huh. he, and we were getting a ride coming back, and he put the location as Steamworks, yes. and a car was coming, and then it canceled. And yes. another car was coming, and it canceled. Wow. And so I think a lot of times that search function, when you know the place that you're at might have some effect on someone that like a lot of people do choose not to pick us up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to what was happening with, you know, taxis too. Like it's not, it's not a new problem. No. Oh, but,
7: um, yeah, I, you know, I, I just saw it as an opportunity that Mm -hmm. like, okay, this not great thing happened to me. How can I just make the best of it to make Mm -hmm. sure that this, um, try to reduce the amount of times this could happen to other people.
0: Right, right. I appreciate that, and that's an important reminder for all the listeners out there that <laughs> we, you know, we can make change and yeah, take action. Yeah, and I think it's it's you just
7: have to take whatever changes in right in front of you. Yeah. it's like, you know, it, not everything is going to be big and sweeping. And even the agreement that we reached with Lyft, it it wasn't the big sweeping change we want, but it right. was progress. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's so critical to like. It's not always going to be revolution. Sometimes it has to be in- incremental change. Right. And that doesn't mean that it's any less
0: important. Absolutely. And it will make it easier for more folks down the line eventually we'll get that revolution oh yeah oh yes many of us are just on board yes <laughs> on yes. board waiting for that yeah so um so hashtag femme masculine yeah opened last night
7: last night we had a yes. great show
0: yes and it's happening again tonight on uh-huh. the 5th as well as next the October tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah. We're running for two weeks down at Brava Theater Center. That's down at twenty fourth and York, mm-hmm. and we are in their brand new storefront cabaret space. Ooh, just super cute. It's right out on the street. Oh, it's, excellent. Um, space that they purchased about a decade ago. Okay. Um, and then their executive director Stacy Powers has really been, um, getting the organization of the last ten years on really solid financial footing and able to build out that new space that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's really great to be in that space. Um, Margo Gomez had the first show in there. Oh yeah. So I just, I feel so honored to be in the same space with folks like her, uh, Tina D'Elia. Yeah. Um, just Cooper, other, other artists that are in residence at Brava. Oh yeah. They yeah. always, uh,
0: such great shows there and I'm so grateful that the, the space exists
7: me too yeah but um, the show starts at 8 o'clock mm-hmm. uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday well I guess Friday, Saturday this week and then Thursday, mm-hmm. Friday, Saturday next week if you want to come I think the special family showing where I'm pretty sure like my mom and sister are <gasps> flying in oh. and I think my dad and stepmom might also be coming to the same show so hopefully that will be a good one I don't know <laughs> but um, that's happening next Friday okay. and um, yeah it's a super fun show it's just about 75 minutes Minutes. Um, I spend a lot of time on my phone. You're allowed to take pictures during the phone and be on it. I'm like, I'm like, if I have my phone on stage, I can't tell you not to have your phone out. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you should watch me. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. So come out for that. Uh, it's going to run for a couple weeks, and then after that, we're just going to try to shop it around, maybe to see if we can get it touring around the country. Too.
0: Oh, that'd be excellent. Yeah. And also wanted to note that the uh, creative director is B. Thomas. Yes. Beatrice
7: Thomas, aka Black Benatar, yes, aka yes. my work wife. Oh, no, my work husband. I'm her work wife. Forget.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, and Beatrice was on the show, I believe, last year or the year before. Mm-hmm. So, yes. really grateful that yeah. you all are collaborating. Absolutely.
7: Beatrice is um, one of my favorite people to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. We've been working together on so many shows. We. Um, Used to do uh, this cabaret that was about the intersection of commercialism and the occult called Doctor Zabrowski's Hour of Power. Oh wow! Um, and then we did a one called Public Prophecy as well. Um, but Beatrice has been such a force for this show and kind of giving the whole production like a shape and a feel. Um, We've also been working with Ryan Marchand, who's a really amazing performer and uh, educator and community um, organizer. Um, He has been giving more like theatrical direction. Our technical director, Erica Socklauer-Shane, has been crushing it. We've got some great lights by Kathy Anderson. Uh, My partner Derek Schmidt did all of our music. Um, Yeah, and a zillion other collaborators, too. I don't want to forget anybody, but I'm sorry. Um, And uh, yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, very much look forward to seeing it. Absolutely. Can't wait to come see. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to promote before we wrap up? Uh, I'm tired. That's about it. It's just this thing. I'm taking a nap. Got it. I (laughs) totally hear you. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Roman. Yeah, and hope to see you again here. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, take a bit of a music break and might take a, a moment to get all set up. And then afterwards, we'll be back with some more news. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Weekly Review. Big thanks to Kevin Seaman for being on the show. Hashtag Femmasculine is playing at Brava Cabaret Theater tonight, which is October 4th, tomorrow, October 5th, as well as next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the 10th through the 12th. I've got some more news for you. Also, like to provide ways that folks can take action. And I, a constant reminder is that everyone has a voice. Everyone can make a difference etc so regardless of one's situation if you would like to make a change there are so many folks who are organizing right now and there's plenty of ways to get plugged in and one way i will share with you at the moment so october 3rd to 8th which is happening right now hashtag we remember days of awe and action for immigrant families and this is an email from the group Bend the Arc, and this is the first action of 5780, is with immigrant families. So Bend the Arc says, the days of awe are here. Between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Bend the Arc leaders have events planned across the country to demand their members of Congress stop our government's cruelty against immigrant families. Today alone, Jews in Long Island, New York, Cleveland, Ohio, Los Angeles, and the Bay Area, California, are organizing to say, we remember and we demand action. Our week of action will be so much more powerful if every member of Congress hears from the Jewish community loud and clear, add to the chorus right now. And they provide a link where you can email your member of Congress, and they have a quick form, it's the Jewish New Year, hold ICE and CBP accountable for cruelty against immigrants. And I've shared this link on Twitter, at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R, as well as our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weekly rev they say we remember the names of the children who have died in US custody we remember the families kept in cages without soap blankets or water we remember the screams of children whose parents were rounded up in raids this is a critical moment to contact your member of congress because the bigger excuse me the biggest fight on immigration this year will be over will be overfunding and the Trump administration thinks the public isn't paying attention. The administration is continuing to ask Congress for billions of dollars to escalate its cruelty against immigrant families and communities, but if thousands of us take action alongside our partners Our partners, we can get Congress to stop them. That's why today through Sunday, Jewish leaders across the country are demanding their members of Congress cut funding to ICE and CBP and hold these agencies accountable to directly combat Trump. Ew, I said his name. And remove the resources that enable the violent enforcement of his immigration policies. Again, you can send an email to your member of Congress right now to demand accountability for cruelty against immigrant families this year, and they provide the link. As we reflect during these High Holy Days, we, and as we approach the anniversary of the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue, we know that the Trump administration's attacks on immigrants are rooted in the same white nationalism that has targeted the Jewish community, the Muslim community, indigenous folks, people of color, and people with disabilities. We know that the only way to win is to show up together in solidarity while you join us. So that is one way that folks can help out, sign this petition, share it with other folks as well, contact folks who are in Congress and get them to act. Next up, more events that folks can participate in. Here on the show, we are prison abolitionists, we believe. That we can build a world without prisons. And the idea of rehabilitating people and helping people instead of punishing people, especially when there are when poverty is criminalized here in this country, and how many folks there's millions of people incarcerated. It's just it's disgusting and it's fucking gross. And we did hear the the story earlier on in the program from Democracy Now, and that was an interview from 2013, and things I'd imagine have only gotten worse as far as militarization has ramped up. So There are some DAs who have been elected who do believe in reform and moving towards, hopefully, prison abolition. And in the meantime, recognizing how many folks are arrested for victimless crimes. So one thing that folks can do to support folks who are incarcerated is to find pen pals to write to people, can send books to people, and one organization that helps connect folks is Black and Pink, and they deal exclusively with LGBTQ folks who are incarcerated. So there is the Flying Over Walls Prisoner Solidarity Project, and Black and Pink, it's a... They're located in many cities, so there may be a city where, maybe located in a city where you live. I know Chicago is one, here in the Bay Area, folks meet in many other cities as well. So regardless of where you are, hopefully you can tap in with a group that is local. And this is what they share. Autumn is here and we've got so many exciting opportunities for you to stay warm in the company of community this season. We're excited to tell you that they are currently planning I'm going to move this over so I can read the full email. The fourth round of queer and trans prison abolition study group for this coming January through June, 2020. This will be our second inside outside study group, meaning it will include both free world and, uh, excuse me. I need to get the screen to a size that I can read. There we go. Okay, this will be our second Inside Outside study group, meaning it will include both Free World and incarcerated members. We are in the process of recruiting 10 to 12 incarcerated folks who are interested in discussing the readings through pen pal letters, and each of them will be matched with an outside member of the study group. If you're interested in joining us, please read and then fill out the form. And they've emailed this to me, and I'm thinking about a way I can share this with you listeners out there. It's a Google Doc. And this is for the SF Bay Area Black and Pink 2020 Inside Outside Study Group. So, I think one way that folks could perhaps find this is if you sign up to get on the mailing list. So let me go to that first. So if you're not on the mailing list, you can subscribe and... And or, I'm just going to give the email address here, uh, flyingoverwalls at lists.riseup.net. So if you want to email them and tell them that you're interested, that's one way to do it and find the link. There's also, they have a lot of letter writing news and events that are coming up. So community news and events, and this again is for the Bay Area, Monday, October 14th. Uh, Join Survived and Punished and TGIJP for Freedom California, a panel and letter writing event. And this is join us in a conversation with a panel of criminalized survivors and learn how to support the fight against gender violence and criminalization. And I'm going to take a look at this link to share the location. And this is happening Monday, October 14th at the East Side Arts Alliance, which is at 2277 International Boulevard in Oakland. Next up, Wednesday, October 16th. Save the date. Berkeley City College will be hosting a summit on the mental health impacts of mass incarceration. And our very own Casper, also of ABO Comics, will be speaking on a panel. Next, Friday, October 18th. The No New SF Jail Coalition is asking community members to come show their support at an important hearing on the closure of the jail at 850 Bryant. We are calling for a rapid closure of 850 Bryant without the opening or or renovation of any jail, transferring prisoners out of county, or an expansion of electronic monitoring. The hearing is scheduled for 10.30 a.m. at SF City Hall. More details to come. On Saturday, October 19th, we along, and again this is black and pink, along with ABO Comics will be at the R-Town SF Nonprofit Expo, the largest LGBTQ resource fair ever in San Francisco. Getting my announcer voice here. And again, it's October 19th, and that's at the Eureka Valley Recreation Center, which is at 100 Collingwood Street in San Francisco. Next up, Wednesday, October 23rd, join Initiate Justice for Bay Area Mail Night. This will be responding to mail from our members inside who have questions regarding current or past legislation, learning more about our policy work and more. The event is open to anyone and everyone, excuse me. The event is open to everyone and dinner will be served. Please bring a laptop if you can. And let's see where this one's happening. And they have Facebook events for all of these, and that's happening at the Urban Strategies Council, which is at 1720 Broadway on the second floor in Oakland. Next step, Wednesday, October 30th, join a growing coalition of groups outside the California Corrections Department in a rally to expose hashtag MeToo behind bars. Hashtag MeTooBehindBars is a campaign to expose how the prison system uses sexual and gender-based violence, including homophobia and transphobia, to target people who they incarcerate and whose daily lives they have almost total control over. For more details about the campaign and rally, they provide a link. And again, there's a Facebook invite. And that if you type in Behind Bars rally. And that's hosted by the California Coalition for Women Prisoners and Young Women's Freedom Center. And that's happening Wednesday, October 30th from noon to 2 p.m. at the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. I am going to increase the font so I can read this. 1515 S Street in Sacramento. Again, California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation at 1515 S Street in Sacramento, Wednesday, October 30th from noon to 2 p.m. Okay. Lots of events that folks can check out. So based on your schedule, your availability, your accessibility needs, what you have energy for, lots of different ways to show up. Uh, Please do get plugged in if you are able. And also, there's a new location, uh, TGIJP. They have a mail night every Tuesday from 4 to 8 p.m. at 1349 Mission Street. And they also have more info, and I believe that's the old center for... Uh, sex and culture. That was the yes, that was 1349 mission here in San Francisco. Uh, was the, yes, the old center for a center for sex and culture. So, yes, please do check out Mail Light and again. That's every Tuesday from 4 to 8 p.m. Okay, that is a lot of information, also. Oh wait, yes. There's more. Monthly letter writing in San Francisco. This happened last night at Wicked Grounds, and in Oakland on Monday, tw- Monday October 21st from 6 to 8 p.m. Folks will be meeting at Farley's Cafe at 33 Grand Avenue in Oakland, near 19th Street BART, and that is where you can write letters to folks, as well as send postcards for people's birthdays and etc. and meet with community. Great. So, that is some more information. I have a story that's, I mean, everything's difficult. Not everything. Many things are difficult. There's an article from Common Dreams that was published in Truthout on October 2nd. And it's also crucial to talk about here on the show, not necessarily not a big fan, not a fan at all of Republicans, not a fan of most Democrats, and those in positions of power cause a lot of harm, and that's kind of where we are. And as long as folks only care about protecting the wealthy and corporate interests, then we're all gonna, it's gonna be bad news. That's a a summary of where we're at. So when folks say that the only thing that people can do is vote, that's really short-sighted and be wrong. And I get that it's people's opinion, however, through history, it's been riots and strikes and protests that have changed the course of history. And voting can work in a way of making it easier to organize, depending on who's in a position of power. And at the same time, voting and can be rigged. And if the folks who are running aren't necessarily folks who are looking out for people, that's that's not a good sign. So there were, I remember shortly after 2016, folks were saying, oh, we'll just wait till 2020. And someone had mentioned in terms of all the deportations and the family separations, which of course have been happening in this country since the very beginning, the idea of someone you know, saying, hey, if your child was kidnapped, would you wait until 2020 to do something about it? So it's really, the idea is just to push people to act, to take action right now. And if this, if this was your family, would you just wait until the next election cycle. And it's not even just about waiting, but this idea that you're waiting for something to happen, for someone else to do something about it. And who's to say that those other folks who may or may not even get into office will necessarily even make things better? And want to encourage folks to take we can take action into our own hands and people throughout history have done exactly that and have gotten things done. So this is something else that have, you know, the folks that refuse fascism have been saying from the very beginning. Many folks have been saying from the very beginning. With fascism, it's, it's not like you just vote people out. It's not a system that has any. There's no morals to it. There's no rules to it. People appoint themselves, and the what the scariest part is that there are a lot of they have a lot of followers who are, into committing violence. They already have committed violence. And that backed with, you got the state violence and then you have vigilante violence against many folks. And oh, there's that's my opening to this article. So, again, this is from Jake Johnson. It was published October 2nd uh, in Common Dreams as well as Truthout. Out. Will Trump refuse to leave? We should be worried about this tweet. So, Fuckface. I try not to talk about him too much because I recognize he's just. It's the systems that are in place have gotten him to where he is. His racist asshole father was a landlord who, if he had been stopped, then you know, it's this whole just the system that's in place. So recognizing it's more than just this one person, and even once he's out of office, that doesn't necessarily mean that the system's going to fall apart. Even though it's it's just uh, it's beyond one person. So. I think that's what I'm trying to say, is that he's representative of the whole system, and even if, even and when, if he's out, other things need to be changed. Does that make sense? hope so. I'm talking a lot of things out today. It's a bit explanatory. So moving along, he was talking about a coup and all this nonsense. Days after amplifying a right-wing pastor's warning of a quote-unquote civil war-like fracture if he is removed from office, President Fuckface—my words, not the words of the article—late Tuesday said the impeachment inquiry launched by House Democrats is a coup, heightening fears that 45 could refuse to allow a peaceful transition of power. And also, I'm going to make a note, have there ever been peaceful transitions of power in one way or another? Things aren't even peaceful when there's not even a transition of power. Anyway. (sighs) going to finish the sentence. Uh, uh, he would ref- could refuse uh, to allow a peaceful transition of power if he is ousted by Congress or defeated in 2020. Um, then they quote him, and he's just talking about a lot of fucking nonsense observers reacted with alarm to 45's tweet and said that it should not be treated as a typical online outburst from the president this is ext- excuse me this is extremely dangerous matthew gertz senior fellow at media matter said pointing out that fox news hosts and contributors have been aggressively pushing the coup narrative in recent days 45's coup language isn't an errant presidential tweet Gertz added it's an official Trump my mouth feels so gross when I say his fucking name administration talking points that multiple top aides have rolled out on state TV today historian Angus Johnston asked in response to 45's tweet what happens when he tweets something like this the day after he loses re-election the orderly transfer of power in the U.S. has always depended on the active cooperation of the outgoing president what happens if that cooperation is not forthcoming the answer the day-to-day answer for November and December 2020 and January 2021 isn't obvious. Johnson said, "Tweets like tonight's crank up the cost of breaking up of breaking with Trump. Ugh. Ugh. But they also underscore the fact that there's no guarantee that waiting that waiting him out will be an effective alternate strategy. Concerns that 45 could resist leaving office if ousted by the constitutional process of impeachment or defeated in the 2020 election are not new. 45 has repeatedly suggested on Twitter and during campaign rallies that his term should be extended to compensate for the time, quote unquote, stolen by the Mueller investigation. This is not a drill and there is no reason to believe 45 will go quietly if he is defeated, wrote The Intercept's Mehdi Hassan in a column in March. There is every reason, however, to believe he and his allies will incite hysteria and even violence. Those who assume otherwise haven't been paying attention. In the days since House Democrats formally began their impeachment inquiry last month, 45 has rapidly escalated his hysterical attacks on political opponents and the whistleblower who raised alarm about the president Fuckers, I can't even say the word, uh, call with Ukraine's leader. Last week, as Common Dreams reported, 45 suggested the person who provided information about 45's call with the Ukrainian president is a spy and traitor who should be executed. On Sunday, 45 warned of big consequences for the whistleblower, as the anonymous individual's lawyers said the president's attacks have put the person's safety at risk. On Monday, 45 asked whether Representative Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, should be arrested for treason, a crime punishable by death. Following the president's coup tweet, Tuesday night—I can't believe I'm saying that. So gross. Okay, Trita Parsi, executive vice president of the Quincy Institute, said, The logical conclusion of this nonsensical statement is that the military should step in, save 45, and arrest 45's political opponents. Let that sink in, Parsi added. Yikes. So again, uh, you can find this at truthout.org. Jake Johnson is a staff writer for common dreams. You can follow him on Twitter at Johnson, Jake P. All right. That was a lot of talking. We're going to be uh, finishing up the show in a little bit. Uh, I'm going to find some fun music to play. Maybe it's not fun, but I'll play some music. We'll be back in a bit. going to go over a couple more things before we wrap up the show today the story comes from seattle and of course there are patterns in many places here uh, in the in the u.s and this is about uh, fair enforcement and how uh it's actually cheaper to not charge people to ride the train than it is to hire folks to be fair enforcers there's an article in the Seattle Times that came out on October 4th, that's today, 2019, Seattle Times. Black passengers getting cited punished disproportionately by sound transit fare enforcement. And this was written by Heidi Groover. When fare enforcement officers board a sound transit train, they begin at either end and work their way toward the middle. One by one, passengers tap their orca cards on handheld devices or show their tickets to prove they've paid. But practice is designed, excuse me, the practice is designed to be unbiased. the agency says a safeguard against potential profiling by officers. But sound tra- transit data shows this system is not preventing disproportionate punishment. while nine percent of people who ride, light rail, and sounder commuter trains are black or African-American, 22% of riders are caught up in the fare enforcement system over the last four years were black according to rider surveys and enforcement data collected by Sound Transit. For black riders, the, disproportionate, the, dis- the, disproportionate, the disproportionality grows as the punishment gets more severe, from warnings to $124 tickets to misdemeanor theft charges about half of riders who in the last four years faced a misdemeanor for failing to pay fair were black. They provide a chart of the demographics <sighs> disparities, both by race and by income have led politicians and transit agencies across the country to rethink fair enforcement, sometimes pitting social and racial justice advocates against publicly funded agencies anxious to appear fiscally responsible. And they also provide a survey where if you're in Seattle, you can share your experience with Seattle, the Seattle region's fair enforcement system. At C- at Sound Transit, officials are aware of the disparities but don't yet have an explanation or solution. Shocking. Some in the agency also say fair enforcement makes riders feel safer and therefore more likely to use the system. Uh, and they... Um, speak to a sound transit chief of staff, Rhonda Carter, who says, it's certainly troubling. It's troubling to see pretty starkly what looks like a disparity, but the numbers don't answer why people don't didn't pay, Carter said. Was it a wayfinding issue? Was it, I literally don't have the money? Was it, I just forgot to tap for the third time this year? Sound transit plans... To survey riders later this year, critics say the existing data proves the system is failing. Some question whether a public transit system should be punishing people who can't afford to ride. When light rail was built through Seattle's Rainier Valley, we were told it's going to be an opportunity for people in our neighborhood to go downtown for jobs, an opportunity for enhancing our well-being, said Gregory Davis, managing strategist at the Rainier Beach Action Coalition, one of the dozens of organizations urging enforcement changes. What If what comes out of it is a fair enforcement policy that indebts our young people, that's the opposite of what we were told the benefit would be," Davis said. A small share of sound transit riders encounter fair enforcement each year, and fewer still are warned, cited, or charged. But disparities worsen with each step. With each step, with black riders receiving 19% of warnings, 43% of tickets, and 57% of theft cases over four years. Riders who don't pay can get one warning, and if found guilty again within a year, a $124 ticket, a second ticket, then a misdemeanor charge. In May, the agency, oops, I uh, clicked on uh, a chart here. Okay. Uh, 43% of tickets and 57% of theft cases over four years. Riders who don't pay can get one warning and, if found again within a year, a $124 ticket, a second ticket, and then a misdemeanor charge. In May, the agency quietly paused referring cases for misdemeanors. It's unclear if the agency will permanently stop those referrals. I'm going to take a moment, and there's like one. There's some more paragraphs left, but I'm going to just stop and just say, hey, Jeff Bezos, who lives uh, close outside of Seattle, who's a billionaire, who could give all of the money to make Seattle transit free, not criminalize people who are unable to pay, he would still have more than enough money. So I just think about how backwards it is. I think about this in many situations where folks who are just struggling to get their basic needs met, that we have the resources as a country to to pay for. It's not unimaginable. It's possible. So many things are possible, yet greed prevents people from moving forward with that. Oh, goodness. Oh. I think I just talked myself into a, a sadness corner. Oh, goodness. There has to be something that is hopeful. In San Francisco, this isn't necessarily... Um, hopeful, but I want to just share a few more things. Oh, I do like to try to end on a positive news story to get myself and all the listeners up, upbeat, happy about something good. Uh, but there are some just things I also wanted to mention that are not so happy. So there are folks on the Clinton Park area in San Francisco who fundraised over $4,000 to get boulders placed on the sidewalk because they didn't want unhoused people to exist and then there was a battle between folks rolling those boulders off the sidewalk. It's also not only is it just incredibly classist and fucked up, but it's also a um, accessibility issue where folks can't navigate on the sidewalk. And so people, were, there was like people were moving it off the sidewalk, and then it's being pushed back on the sidewalk. And then DPW got involved, and these are also boulders that have been around for years, I think. So also DPW is involved with it, and it was just nonsense. And the the GoFundMe where these people who have Thousands, they raise thousands of dollars, and instead of saying, Hey, let's raise thousands of dollars and maybe like, how is a family, pay people's rent for a month or two, or feed people, or provide access uh, to services for people, they instead decide to make life harder for people. And that's what what's it. It's just so fucking frustrating where it's you recognize there's something that makes people uncomfortable, and instead of trying to find ways to rehabilitate, to offer services, to help people. Uh, they cause people cause more harm, and that's the thing. Where even if you're like, it's even better to like not do anything than it is in some of these situations. than people who are actually causing harm, like calling the cops on, on house people or causing sweeps, taking people's possessions, people who don't have much to begin with. It's so frustrating. Ugh. Speaking of frustrating, uh, Palantir has still not. Uh, uh, they're still doing business with ice. So tonight at 7 p.m., CCC, CCCC, 4Cs, four 4Cs, four Bay Area, uh, follow them on Twitter at CloseTheCampsBA, call to action tonight, 7 p.m., the Palo Alto BW Ball has not dropped Palantir Tech as a sponsor for their event. We cannot allow them to normalize Palantir and its cruelty. Palantir money is blood money. We need folks to flyer to attendees and let them know Palantir's crimes I am retweeting this, uh, excuse me. I am retweeting this flyer on Twitter. Again, you can follow Close the Camps BA or me at R O M A N R I M E R. In Ecuador today, second day of a national strike against the president. And this was shared by Joshua Potash, and that's J O S H U A P O T A S H. I will also share that. So around the world, protests are happening. There are some more in other places as well that I wanted to get to. I'm also reading on Mother Jones. The EPA just issued a notice of environmental violation in San Francisco after 45 claimed the city's large... Ugh, fuckers. This is about uh, water pollution, even though I would suggest that it's uh, Chevron and perhaps the big companies here that are polluting the water more than... Uh, and all the fucking automobiles because they decided not to invest in public transit. Anyway. Ugh. There's an article on motherjones.com if you'd like to read more about that. And... I am scrolling down to see if there's something else I can share that will end on a positive note. Because there are a lot of scary things happening and a lot of frightening things that are happening. And also a lot of folks taking action. And I perhaps did not get to some of those stories this week. And I apologize. I also just want to encourage folks to donate to Chesa Bodine's campaign for district attorney to ensure that there is an election since the mayor has just decided to replace Gascon with Susie Loftus, who is running against Chesa. Oh, goodness. And, well, that might just be it. A lot of more things going on, but, uh, it's one forty-three. I feel like I have spoken quite a bit. I have used my voice and well, I am seeing from alternate that the Democrats have roped Mike Pence into the impeachment inquiry of Trump. I hope they all fucking go. So I guess we'll take what we can get for there. Um, Big thanks to Kevin C. Mint for being on the show. Again, you can check out Kevin's show, hashtag Femmasculine at the Brava Cabaret Theater. For more info, go to brava.org. And that's again um, October 4th and 5th, the 10th through the 12th at 8 p.m. I think that's gonna be it for me. Stay tuned to Mutiny Radio. Oh, I should plug the station. Hello. There's shows here every day of the week. Please listen in. Please donate to the station. We stay open based on dues. So please, please, please donate if you can. If you'd like to support the show in particular, You can do so if you go to patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Thanks so much. And yep, that's about it. I'm going to play some more music (laughs) for you all. Thanks again so much for listening. Have a good week. And we'll be back next week. And taking a moment to choose the song. Sometimes eh, it takes me a while. So I'm going to see what I'm in the mood for. And in the meantime, I am going to speak. Super professional here. And what are we going to decide on? All right. Here we go. Have a great week, everybody.
9: (laughs)
10: listening to MutinyRadio.fm. Here we are in the station. It's time for Tiny Kitchen. Tiny, tiny kitchen with Rachel and Pam. Tiny, tiny kitchen. Hi, Rachel. How are you doing? Mutiny kitchen. Tiny, tiny. So we've realized that it's impossible to control anything in these crazy COVID times. It's impossible to control uh, our lives and what's happening with them. So we are doing a tiny kitchen because that we can control. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, I'm going to go get some tiny coals and uh, see if we can put them in these tiny things. Uh, tell people, Rachel, about um, Tiny Kitchen at um, at Rainbow Gathering and then also about uh, the, the, the tiny nachos we're going to make today. Tiny nachos. Yeah, the tiny,
6: tiny uh, camp at Rainbow Gatherings has been part of our gatherings for, it's an ancient tradition about five years old. Now there's tiny tiny camps all over the country cuz we can't gather together so we're gathering separately there's a tiny tiny kitchen tiny camp up in upstate new york that put together a protest justice for george floyd and i think it's working i think it helped since those murders will be charged and whatnot tiny kitchen started as a as a a little model tent And people started donating tiny things so they can make a tiny kitchen in the woods. And since Tiny Camp can't gather together, we're going to make tiny food here at the station. We have a very tiny, tiny, real cast iron stove and a real cast iron oven. We're putting coals from a real fire into them. After we made some tiny steaks to make some tiny loaded nachos, We have the the littlest tortillas you would ever see. We're going to fry them up, make fresh nachos, tiny cheese slivers, little packets of butter. So cute, little butter. Some jalapenos and tomato, some garnishes, all coming together to improve our lives just a tiny bit. I'm picking up coals. I'm like trying to burn, not burn my, they're actual real life coals. This is fun. Real coals. Last time we did it without using, we tried to put the coals inside instead of on fire. This time we're putting the coals that are already in fire in the oven to help control the heat here. We have a little knife we're going to use to make tiny dices out of these jalapenos and tomatoes. Tiny fun times. Large, fun, tiny objects. Tiny Camp started as a tiny tent and then people would give us tiny donations like a tiny shovel. We built a tiny fence around it. They had a tiny hammock. Tiny Always Free, a little mailbox to get tiny mail delivered. Someone donated a school bus so they could put all their tiny equipment and travel around, set up tiny camps everywhere. So, Tiny Camp's San Francisco faction is
10: making food for Mutiny Radio for little appetites. So we have ti- we have tiny coals in the in the tiny little cast iron potbelly stove uh, that are it's it's hot. Uh, so we're gonna slice up some tiny tiny things. We've got some tiny steak here. I'm gonna.
6: Oh, yeah, there's a little, little chunks. Tiny, tiny. Such little portions.
10: Oh, it's still too big. For our tiny appetites. Yeah. So what are the, what are the things that you're feeling out of control about in your life, Rachel? <laughs> huh. You know, I haven't been thinking about it. I don't know why.
6: <laughs> uh, I feel like I used to travel a lot. Like, this would be the time that I would be going around to different camps and I feel like I'm not in control of when I get to leave and when I get to go adventure, that's been kind of hard because that's a big part of my identity. Uh, adventuring. Yeah, you know, just traveling every summer from at least from May till August at least just kind of going wherever, no matter what I was doing in my in my mundane, regular people life, I would put it on break and then and then go leave and go to rainbow gatherings and go to concerts and...
10: What's your what's the best concert you've ever what's the best concert you've ever been to?
6: Oh, it's like it's a tie between Radiohead at Bonnaroo and of Montreal and Oakland.
10: All right. Uh, we have yeah. also Machine uh, of Mornings with Machine is running our board. What's the best concert you've ever been to and you can say your own band The Business Sticks if you like.
11: You know what? I've been to so many good ones here in the city, including like Warbison, The Rolling Stones.
10: You saw The Rolling Stones, huh?
11: I did. I saw them back in uh, 2004, I think it was, at 18 t Park. Damn. That was a very good show. Also, um, Nine Inch Nails was great. But the local bands here, I'd say Concrete was one of the best shows I saw. The Parents at Bender's and the Subways from England at Slim's. All very good. What about yourself, Pam?
10: I'd have to say i agree with that war bison thing i love that's one of my favorite bands i i mean in local bands i love floating goat also when they play as hendrixian i enjoy that very much i love the business dicks i've seen them a bunch of times they're great um but i think maybe i've been to i've been to fish concerts like like 11 of them so those were pretty great too that's more of a cultural experience. I feel yeah. when I go fish
6: Grateful Dead, it's more like you have more fun hanging out with the people outside the concert, and it's more like the culture is what makes that cool.
11: I was offered tickets for their last uh, Grateful Dead's last uh, show ever, I believe, at uh, Levi Stadium.
6: Oh well, but, but you were offered tickets, but you didn't go.
11: Yeah, uh, couldn't they make it.
6: Oh man.
11: So, the gate. I
6: made it to the parking lot, but never inside,
10: man. I don't know what happened. Oh, I've done
11: that a few times.
10: <laughs> uh, we're going to take this tiny, tiny little pat of butter that I wrapped up individually. It's really adorable. I w- put it in the tiny... For the listeners at home, just imagine
6: the cutest, tiniest little butter pack. And we have four of them, and they're... It's melting on our, in our tiny pot. Well, I'm hoping no, it's, it's going to melt. I mean, there's coals in there. Should, should we work. add more sticks to it? Should I break up some
10: sticks? Well, it's, it's hot. I think there's got to be, I mean, this thing is getting hot. I mean, there's coals in it, so I'm hoping the butter's going to melt. We'll chop up our tiny little itty-bitty uh, jalapenos while we're...
6: Don't rub do you your tiny fingers and your tiny eyes when you're done cutting the jalapenos. It's
10: don't touch your tiny dick with your tiny...
6: Yeah, don't touch your tiny don't thing with the other do tiny... Don't do that. We, uh, we that,
10: that. That, actually, that actually happened once... Unless you're into that. Like, I'm it, not tra- it, here to King shame no, no, The San Francisco. Uh, one time I was part of a, uh, a contest. It was... A, chili making contest and we were making a habanero duck chili my ex-husband and i and he was helping me chop up habaneros but he forgot that he was chopping habaneros and then he went into the bathroom and he went to do a little potty and then he came running out of the bathroom screaming my dick's on fire my dick's on fire you cheating bastard a funny funny party yeah my dick's on fire, my dick's on fire. Hey uh, machine, where can people pick up uh, the, the business business dicks music? Do you have a website or Yeah do you we
11: ha- do actually we've got you can pick it up on businessdicks.hereandnow. and now and uh, you can buy it there, but you could check it out on YouTube first in case you hate it and don't want to purchase it. <laughs> it's on it's on um, iTunes, Apple Tunes, Spotify, Deezer, it's on all those things.
10: Look um, up business yeah. dicks.
6: Duh. You did some really beautiful job Chopping these tiny jalapenos I don't know if I've
10: ever seen Tinier pieces of jalapeno Yeah, tiny, tiny So now we're chopping up The tiny, tiny bits of, of cheese as well Because the cheese was The cheese shreds were way too big So we need to make those A lot smaller to make Oh, is it melting? It should be melting I can. Yes, I see the butter is melting The butter in the tiny pot is melting Here we go tiny kitchen. Yeah, I feel like my life is so out of control right now that tiny things are the way to go. Things are too big and scary and out of control right now, and I don't know what to believe. Uh I I did I I don't know what I don't know what's going to happen. We have free food for
6: any tiny protesters out there it's that tiny. need some nachos on the go.
10: Yes. I don't
11: I think the main protest today is at 16th and Valencia. I just came past it. So well done, Gen Z, for organising that.
10: I have awesome. seen a lot of tiny children on the street doing little protests. Um, there were, and it's you know it's really unnerving to hear a bunch of small children s- screaming, "Let me breathe, let me breathe." But I think that you know there, th- this Generation Z, this next generation. They actually believe that they can still change things. They have hope, which I think is exciting. They're not jaded yet. They're not jaded yet. adorable. (laughs) It's adorable. It is. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. (gasps) It's melting. It's melting. The tiny butter is melting. Okay, I think that in order to fry these tiny little things, though, I need to add another stick of butter. So I'm going to add another tiny.
6: That's right. We're making fresh fried tortilla chips. We have these little circular about...
10: Yeah, we'll take Uh, pictures for you at some point. Don't worry.
6: Nickel-sized. Yeah,
10: they're in between a nickel and a dime. Little tortillas. We're gonna
6: fry up here.
10: Gonna cut them in between a
6: nickel and a dime, just like we live our lives.
10: (laughs) I know it's not even a dollar. Not even a machine. Did you hear that the bars are supposed to open back up on Friday?
11: Oh yes, I did.
10: (laughs) How excited? I mean.
11: That's awesome. I, I, don't, I don't particularly want to be the crushed in the rush on the first day, but I'll be there.
6: I mean... I'm I don't think there's going to be much of a... I think it's going to be a slow trickle. There's going to be people that don't feel comfortable leaving yet.
11: Yeah, true that. True that. Um, I, I, I've been to a couple of our locals recently. I was in Zeitgeist last weekend. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just they had a walk-through drink on the street. Sure. Do, which was great. And then we went to Thieves Tavern, rest in peace, Thieves Taverns. So you didn't make it till next week. Wow. And Blind Cat, I believe, as well. Ah, oh, but well, maybe maybe you'll have a resurgence in next week's the week that you're like, alright, we only missed it by two weeks, maybe we can get back in there. I'm not sure how that goes with the uh, with your leases and everything. But we'd love to see you all back.
10: Yeah, I mean the stud disappeared. I'm just wondering how is how different is San Francisco how how is it gonna look different or are we just gonna go right back to the way we were like I, I
11: yeah, don't know I don't, gonna, I don't think that's gonna happen but well you know what we all want that to happen except with the pl- police brutality etc. we don't want that to happen that's gonna change so right. let's um, put San Francisco as a map to walk around and get a beer Looking forward to it. I'm wondering, it's
10: things have been crazy because of the, like, everyone's drinking on the street now. So the the culture has sort of been changed in that we weren't allowed to do this thing, and now we can do this thing. And are people still just going to be willy-nilly drinking on the street, or is the ABC going to come back in full force?
6: Ah! I never let the law stop me from drinking on the street, if I'm <laughs> honest. I... But yeah, are they still gonna have cocktails to go? Is it gonna be like New Orleans?
11: Oh my God, I would love that it. That would be lovely.
10: So the, the the butter is the butter has been melted. Drive
6: through? Well, no, it's the West Coast. You we don't have drive through anything. And
10: I'm putting the tiny chips that I've cut from the tiny things, putting them in tiny chips in the tiny butter, and we're gonna cook those up and turn them. We're having a tiny kitchen. The world is impossible to control, and so we're doing a tiny kitchen in a tiny cast iron. So we got tiny, tiny coals, and put them in, and we have tiny, we're making tiny loaded nachos. We're being visited by Andrew Rose. So we have tiny, yeah, yeah, we have tiny little, look at that, tiny little corn tortillas. It's hot. It's hot. You can have a tiny piece of steak if you want to try our tiny steak. You want to, yeah, use the tools, use your fingers try it out we've got some tiny tiny yeah we do have the ingredients for a tiny taco without yeah, you want some <laughs> there's some you can have some tiny Tiny
6: someone tasting there. our tiny tiny stuff tiny
10: taco, tiny taco
6: oh, T-
10: tiny um the large happy looks on the faces and uh there's the tiny little jalapenos tiny tiny tomatoes, tiny tiny tomatoes, tomatoes. little cheese yeah oh yep don't forget the tiny cheese Yay! <laughs> this is our first this oh, is the baby first baby. person we've served with a tiny taco it's a tiny tiny
6: <laughs> andrew rose yeah. well we last week we ate the tiny hash browns we and did. the tiny bacon yeah but we didn't get to serve somebody yeah tiny taco. tiny taco yes oh wow a large look of excitement for tiny foods Yay! oh no thank yeah, no. you for what brings you here to mutiny
9: <laughs> Sweet. oh
10: wow why is it dangerous when it's windy to be on a motorcycle? So when you're crossing the bridge, you're taking your life into your own hands. Oh,
5: yeah, always, but the wind actually me about five feet
10: to the left there. Whoa. So, uh, I <laughs> Andrew says five feet to the left with the wind, and if there would have been a car, he wouldn't be Andrew anymore. So Andrew, since you're here, uh, can you give us
6: a tiny review on the taco you just ate?
0: Uh, you
10: to. Adequate.
6: Yay! A tiny Yay. comment for the tiny foods. Adequate. Wow, I've been waiting my whole life for someone to just tell me I'm adequate, you know? Like I've wow well, wanted to be We're happy. good
10: enough. We're good enough. Good good lower enough. the bar. May, maybe not the best, but we're adequate here at making tiny foods at some, Uni Radio. some people say you can come in. Some people say raise the bar, some say lower the bar. We say make the bar really small. Like <laughs> just a tiny 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 bar. Like a tiny ballerina. Uh, cool. So, uh, here we are making tiny stuff. Making That was these
11: the smallest, most scathing review I've ever heard.
5: <laughs> There's a perfect, sass, perfect sass size. Sass
6: on it. It's actually a big word for
10: a tiny tacos. Big words. Tiny, tiny tacos. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,
6: I'm gonna.
10: It's like you can have tacos as a tiny appetizer
6: from nachos already.
10: Yes. so on this tiny little plate i'm gonna i have some i have some tiny carrots and i have a tiny little bit i have tiny tiny little lime wedges and i have some tiny tiny uh sour cream and i'm gonna take our tiny tiny a little uh these oh that's hot and these tiny little chips
6: i'm not Chips on the plate. Okay, yeah, we have fried, tiny fried little nachos. Are we, we're gonna have to do another batch. There's yeah, so
10: many so. tiny people that need, have large appetites. It's it's absolutely true here, and we wanna definitely serve the tiny people here. All people matter.
6: We can have all, the, s- all sizes matter. We can even do a vegan version, you know? Oh, no, we can't. We use butter.
10: Well, we can do a vegetarian version so without I'm any. Putting the, the cheese. Some jalapenos. We're making these ones really loaded. Uh, loaded nachos. Loaded nachos. We're going to put the tiny tomatoes. Tiny loads. loads.
6: Tiny loads squirting all over the nachos.
10: Put some of the...
6: To Get a picture of it. Yeah.
10: There we go. For the
6: listening audience, just imagine the cutest plate of tiny nachos you've ever seen. You just wish that you were a little mouse so you could have a gourmet meal. Fresh fried
10: tortillas take a picture of that i'm gonna i'm gonna put some more coals in the little thing and see if we Do can we make a case a dime of dia for scale? a dime for scale yeah or we can
6: use it maybe
10: yeah uh let's see for scale yeah figure it there you go okay uh machine tell us about uh tell us more about the business sticks and i'm gonna get
11: You really want to know about business dicks? Well,
10: tell us all about the. Are they tiny business dicks?
11: They're, they're, (laughs) they are. (laughs) They're small dicks with big attitudes. (laughs) Typical. Typical. Yeah, they've been playing. They're playing out of the uh, the mission. We've been playing out of the mission for the last five years at uh, Heavy Metal Bike Shop. We get together using our to, used to get together Tuesday Fridays and just play a whole live gig for the neighborhood and annoy the neighbors until we brought out our first album and then we just kinda let it go a bit. But we're getting back together as soon as this
5: Getting the social,
9: Band back together. Get the band di- back together.
11: Distancing is done and we get enough tiny, tiny, tiny reviews from our tiny tiny fans. Oh
10: you've got you've got all kinds of big fans. I'm a, I'm a big fan of- If we were making food for
6: your band, it would have to be on a real stove, I think. Yeah. Large, regular-sized
10: foods. I'm putting some more Oop, butter it. butter, butter in the pan that we have. This time directly on top of- Oh, wow! Oh, look at it! Look oh, at, it's it's really really going, oh, It's really going! It's really going! Let's get this. Let's oh get my this gosh! Action. This is very exciting! Look at the action! Wow, it's tiny action!
6: Tiny action! I love that. Oh, we're about to fry some tiny tortillas here.
10: We're gonna make a tiny quesadilla. Oh, tiny quesadilla! Tiny quesadilla! Uh. I'm gonna put
11: some cilantro, some carrots in there. You really have to see this to believe it. Is this is this live anywhere? Yeah, this this
10: is live. So what we're doing right now is we're definitely live streaming on NewRadio.FM, but we're recording it and then I'll put it on the night playlist so people can listen to the joy and wonderment of us making tiny. Tiny foods.
11: No, is anyone FaceTime live in it or Facebook yeah. live in
6: it? Uh, <laughs> I'm catching little, little videos of it we can
10: put up later.
11: Where can we see that?
10: We need a tiny spatula. Oh. We have no idea where we're going to put it up. I mean, I should be using it. We have it. some footage of the last one. We didn't do anything with We didn't do it. anything with it. We were just having a good this time. Is a,
6: you know, this is our second time doing it. We'll get better at it.
10: Well, yeah, we'll we'll figure it out as time goes on.
6: This is a radio station. We don't know shit about cinematography. Exactly.
10: That's the thing people keep telling me. They're like, why aren't you videoing everything? I'm like, it's a radio station. You know, you.